Hi, I'm Pastor Guy Burke. We welcome you to this week's worship with First Baptist Church Indianola. We also invite you to find out more about us at our website, www.fbcindianola.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. Join us now as we study deep truths from God's holy word. Today I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Last week we're all, we're all the way in the end of the gospel of Matthew with the Great Commission. This week we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. That'll kind of be home base. We'll have some uh, various scriptures that'll help uh, as we walk through this sermon together this morning. And a sermon I've entitled Authority's Arm as we consider God's word uh, and discipleship. Over the last few weeks... We have zeroed in on some non-negotiable facets of what it means to be an authentic disciple because here at First Baptist Church in Enola, we exist to cultivate authentic followers of Christ. And so we've looked at several facets and navigated through that through looking at prayer and worship and last week the responsibility of every disciple with the Great Commission. And so today we want to zero in on the importance of the authority of Scripture within the disciple's life. So really what we're going to do is we're going to piggyback off what Jesus said last week in the Great Commission. Because Jesus says in the Great Commission that all authority has been given to me, right? All authority. And so we're going to look at that authority for the disciples' life through God's Word. Now I know some of us, uh, we, we could probably pinpoint people that they're okay with authority, right? There, there are a lot of folks that are okay with authority. They're, they're kind of the ones, they're kind of like Monica on Friends, sitting up at the, in the front of the class going, I know, I know, I know, right? And they're, they're okay with all the guidelines that are out there. And then we know some stubborn people, right? Maybe just a few. And, and they're going to they're gonna buck the system a little bit, right? They're, they're not, they're not gonna, they're, those guidelines are just suggestions, right? They're just kind of what you should do. I'll I, I just do what I want to do, right? And so... We've got some, some, some bulls out there that will buck the guidelines a little bit. But what we're going to see for the disciple is the importance and the authority of the word of God within the life of an authentic disciple. You see, the, this agent, God's word, this, this agent of authority is the, is the word of God. And God has spoken through his word to his creation for his glory and for our good. And so when we come to Scripture, when we come to God's Word, we, we must recognize that it's for our good along with God's glory. I love what Pastor Eugene Peterson says. He says, Scripture is God's Word to us and not a collection of human words about God. Scripture is God's words, Word to us, not a collection of words about God. So when you come before God's Word when you profess to follow Jesus and you come before God's word, it's not just a mere collection of stories, of, of allegory, or, or of suggestions to live a life that would be viewed as decent. That's not what it is. No, it is the authoritative living word of the living God. And for authentic disciples, it is an authority in our life that we follow, that we seek, that we understand, that we live out and apply to our lives. So the Bible is not just merely some nice suggestions, right? No, the Bible is the word of God, as we're going to see, breathed for us 
to know, to follow, and to live by. And so we take its authority seriously, we take its authority reliably, and we apply its authority within our daily life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to come to this big idea. And the big idea for today is God's authority authors our eternity. God's authority authors our eternity. What we're going to, where we're going to journey to together this morning, we're going to see some principles regarding this. We're going to see that God's word is authoritative in the life of Jesus. We're going to see the purity of God's word. And we're going to see that actually God's word is breathed by him, the one true living God. So let's begin with that first principle. God's word was authoritative for Jesus. It was authoritative for Jesus. As, as I think about this principle, I'm reminded of my dad's word at home growing up. I was texting back and forth with my dad, and my mom's here this morning. I'm so glad to have my mom here. Uh, my, dad, my dad growing up, you know, when he said it, it that was it, right? You know, when, when, when he made the decision, you know, and back then I didn't appreciate it. You know, looking back, I do appreciate that disposition because, side note, dads, that's important for us. It's important for the father not to merely be around, but to actually be present and to speak truth into the life of children in the home. And thankfully, my dad did that. And, and, and when his word went out, it was, it was, it was the final word, and, and, we, and we obeyed and we listened to that. And we learn that the Father's word for Jesus is authoritative in his life. Now think about that. Think, think, think about our Lord, the power of our Lord, yet he, he willingly submitted to the Father's will. We're going to see that in Matthew chapter 4 in just a moment. But think about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where, where Jesus is struggling and he says, not my will, but, but, but your will, Father. But in the very beginning of his earthly ministry, as Jesus is setting out, he's taken to the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And that's what we're going to read here. And we're going to see that the authoritative word of God was on the lips of Jesus in the midst of great temptation. We begin in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, so let's just see what's happening here. This is a battlefield, okay? This is a battlefield. There are two forces here, right? And, and, and a battle is, is waging as we read this. This isn't like let's go out to the Arizona resort retreat and hang out for a while. No, to get away. No, that's not what it is. Now, this is a battlefield, and there are two opposing forces here, and Satan is, is leading a blitz into the earthly ministry of Jesus as he tempts him. So let's remember that we're all in a spiritual battle, okay? That we're all in a spiritual battle, just like Jesus was here. Verse 2, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That points out the humanity of Jesus for us, okay? We'll stop right there for just this moment. That Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus knows what you are feeling. He has felt things like hunger. He has wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows what we feel. We are not alone in our feelings, okay? Because we have a Savior that understands our suffering 
and our struggle. Verse 3, then the tempter approached him and said, if, that's a big if, right? If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Satan, he questions him, if you're the son of God. And then he tempts him with his physical need. Take these stones and make them bread. Now, how does Jesus counteract this attack? What, what is the escape move here on this battlefield? Verse 4, he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the counter move was the authoritative word of the living God. So if Jesus in the battle leans deeply on the authoritative word of the living God, he quotes scripture right here. This is, a, this is a quote of scripture from the Old Testament, okay? So if Jesus on the battlefield being tempted by the evil one leans deeply into the authoritative word of God, then this, what does that say for us as disciples of his? says that if Jesus took God's word authoritative, we must take it as well. See, Jesus rebukes Satan here as he speaks authoritatively regarding the word of God. And he distinctly used God's word in this, this scene of temptation, this battle on this battleground. So let's consider that for the importance of our daily life as, as we journey through life. Let's consider the importance of, of this example we see from our Lord at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. If, if our Lord can, if he combated the searing temptation of the evil one with the word of God. And friends, authentic disciples cannot have dust covered Bibles. You just can't. To be an authentic follower of Christ means that you follow him and his example. And the example he gives us on the battle, the spiritual battleground of eternity is that the word of God is authoritative. And that the word of God is sufficient in our temptations. And that the word of God is what we lean upon. But this isn't the only time we see that from Jesus. Hey, this isn't like a one-stop shop kind of thing where at the beginning of this ministry he puts this forth and then he's on to something else. No, it's woven into the fabric of his earthly ministry. And when we think about how he reveals how God's word is fully authoritative to us, we see also Jesus quote scripture. So if, if we had time, we could go all the way to Matthew chapter 19. From chapter 4 to, to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus affirms the words of Genesis chapter 2. Once again, as he is tested in his teaching, as he's tested by, by law experts, if you will, Jesus quotes Old Testament scripture. And he says in that verse, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When he's challenged on a relationship question, where does Jesus point everyone? He directs everyone to God's word. He directs everyone to the authority of God's word. So to be cultivated into an authentic follower of Jesus 
means that we must lean into the authority of God's word. Not simply just say, that's the good book. Not simply say, well, it's, a, it's an instruction book for life. No, we lean into its authority over all areas of our life because we see that from Jesus. Jesus believed and showed the authority of God's word. And these are just two instances. These are just two scenes in the movie, if you will, where Jesus shows the authority of God's word in his life. And the reason Jesus has this high view of God's word, this authority of God's word, as he lives that out, is because God's word is pure. That's the second principle I want to give to you today. Not only do we see God's word, it's authoritative because it was authoritative for Jesus, but we see that God's word is pure. I recently watched the next Netflix show. What else we got to do, right? I recently watched the Netflix show uh, with a guy, Zach Efron. Lindsay always calls him, oh, the high school musical kid. That's what Lindsay calls him. So, so Zach Efron does this kind of documentary thing and goes to all these different places around the world. And each episode has a different topic. And one of the topics was clean water, getting clean water to people that need it. And they begin the episode going to this place in California that has some of the most pure water on earth. Now, now you may have heard of these, uh, these wine tasters, right? These, I think they're called sommeliers, maybe. And so they can taste the wine and know where it comes from and know the elevation and, and how, you know, all that goes into the process. Well, he's at a place where there is a water sommelier. A water sommelier. And they bring out these bottles of this pure water. And they come from all these different places, from all these different elevations on earth. And they have like this equation that they, they use to determine how pure the water is. And so they sit at this table and they're tasting all these different waters and the different purity levels of these waters. And, and it's something that that I never really thought about, that there would be a place you could go to test and have different bottles from different places that had distinct purity levels for water. You know, I grew up, we got water out of the fountain at school, right? That's, that's where water came from. But here you, you've got this beautiful, pure water. But the reality of that is that it's not perfect water. Because sin has tainted everything in this world. And so even the best pure water will not stand in comparison to what we ex will experience in heaven to come when everything is restored and made new again. So there's this, this aspect of searching for what is pure in, in life, right? There's this, there's this component to, to searching for what is pure in life. We find out from God's word that his word is pure. And it's pure because God does not speak falsely. Have you ever been lied to? Yeah. We have been spoken falsely too, haven't we? God never speaks falsely. It's, it's not who he is. It, it, God is holy as we sing about. God is pure. Therefore, his word is pure. God, his, his word has, has a purity to it because he cannot lie. 
And, and the prophet Titus speaks about this. I want to share Titus chapter 1, verse 2. And so Titus is, is prophesying here, and he says, In the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Literally in the ancient language, the ancient language of the Old Testament, his, word, his words literally translate, the unlying God. So what is the prophet telling the people? The prophet is telling the people that you can worship false gods, you can worship all these other gods, but they're lying to you. You can sacrifice. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the false god Pan, if you were with us. And it was an agricultural God and sacrifices were made in the ancient day to this false God. You can do all of that. You can go and hope for a great harvest to a God that has all the promises. But that God is lying to you because there is only one true living God that doesn't lie. And his name's Yahweh. He is the unlying God. So whatever sits on the throne of our heart, whatever has taken priority and sits on the throne of our heart, if it's not Jesus, if it's not the living, true, living God, if it's not the Savior and the hope of all, if it's not Him, then it's going to be lying to us. And it's going to fall short. Because the living God doesn't lie. And, and I just want to go off road for a second here, just for a minute. Let's, let's hit the four by four button, if you will. And we'll go off-road. If God doesn't lie, if he is the unlying God, then what really, really matters is who he says you are. You may be worried about what somebody else says you are. You maybe have bought into a lie of what the world says you should be. You may be journeying through life trying to, trying to, to upgrade to something, to be some, have some kind of status or whatever, so others will say that, that you've, you've grown or you've gotten better or whatever the case scenario. You may be wanting that social media check mark of verification from someone else. But friend, I'm here to tell you that if God doesn't lie, he, you are who he says you are. And that as you begin to live and walking that, then you find freedom in that and you find rest in that and you find hope in that. And that you can embrace that God's word is pure and that who he says you are, that's your identity, not what someone else might tell you you are. And not even what you think about yourself. Because God's word is pure and he doesn't lie. And so this description that Titus gives here, it shows us that he cannot speak a lie. And since that we know that God cannot lie, then his word is pure in all things. His word is pure in all things and in all areas of our life. Therefore, we should not simply submit to God's word, but we should openly embrace God's word for our life. Because God's word is pure. And the reason God's word is pure is because he has breathed it out. And that's the last principle for today. God's word is breathed by him. God's word is breathed by him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. God's word is breathed by him. You know, we breathe and it's automatic, right? Like you've been breathing this whole time and you probably hadn't thought about it. You're probably thinking about a lot of other stuff, but you're not thinking about breathing. It's just automatic. It's just what we do. It's just how we, we function. We, 
we, you know, we don't, you didn't walk up those steps necessarily and consider how many breaths you took. You just walked up and came on in, right? You know, we don't go around our, our work day. We may feel tired, but we're not counting our breaths like we count our steps. We just breathe and it's automatic. Well, God's word is pure and it has been, auto, it has been automated into our lives for us to, to lean into its authority, to follow the truth of its word. And so in the deep labyrinth of the New Testament, we arrive at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this is, what, this is what Paul writes. The Apostle Paul, he's showing his protege Timothy. He, he's leading Timothy in understanding that he has, as he leads the church, he has to lean on God's word. And so 2 Timothy 3, 16, this is what Paul says. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that word inspired that I just shared with you, in the original language, it's a word that translates God breathed. And in the original language, as Paul writes this, this is the only time this word is used in all of Scripture. This is the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. And as he drives home the point to Timothy about the importance of God's word, the, 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 the leverage of God's word, the authoritative state of God's word, he uses this unique term. And what Paul does here is he's solidifying that God's word by the Holy Spirit was breathed into humans to be recorded for the church and for the glory of God and for the disciples good and so when we think about God's word it's not just simply something that's handed down but it's breathed by the living God and it's a living word and that living word speaks into our daily living and so that leads us to our big idea once again God's authority it authors our eternity. God's authority, it authors our eternity. And it shows us that to be a true disciple, to be an authentic disciple, that the authority of God's word must be prevalent in our life. We must lean in yielding to what God's word says because he has breathed it out for his glory in our good. This big idea and turning to, to God's word, it places eternity on the table for us. You know, eternity is kind of like that breathing. We don't necessarily think about our breathing. It seems automatic. We don't necessarily think about eternity all the time either. We don't necessarily wake up on Monday morning thinking about eternity. But if we've seen anything in 2020... We've seen the fragility of life. We've seen the fragility of life on a global stage with a pandemic that we're still journeying through. We've seen fragility of life on a popular stage. We've seen athletes and movie stars and others pass away this year. 
We've seen the fragility of life on a personal stage. I bet everyone in here, in here, if we had the time, we could pass a mic around and we could share something that has happened in 2020 with a family member, someone close to us, that shows us just how life is fragile. And it reminds us that eternity is on the table. And it also reminds us that if we believe God's word, and we believe what it says. If it's authoritative, if it's pure, if it's breathed by him, and it puts eternity on the table, then it leads us to, to look at eternity in this light. There is either the presence of Jesus, or there is the place without Jesus' presence. When eternity is put on the table and as Jesus, where, if we wrap back around to where we started and Jesus is on the battlefield and in his two opposing forces, the forces of evil and a holy living God that has breathed out his word, that eternity is on the table and eternity is at stake. And if eternity is at stake, then that, that means there's, there's two destinations, there's two addresses to arrive at one day. The fragility of life points out two destinations for us. And that des those destinations are the presence of Jesus with the hope of eternal life in his presence, praising and worshiping him and experiencing him for all of eternity in his glory. Or there is the other place, the place that the Bible calls hell. And it is the place without Jesus' presence. And so when we come to the authority of God's word for the disciple today, friend, wherever you at, wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you are at in life, whatever you are walking through in life, eternity is on the table. 2020 proves to us that life is fragile and that there are two addresses at the end. And I implore you. I implore you today that if God has spoken to you, that you would hear his voice. He has breathed out his word. He is speaking to your heart today. And it is a call to salvation. It is a call to follow Jesus. It is a call to surrender your life to experience the one who gave his life for you. And the authority of his word shows us that. And the authority of his word should drive us, for all of us that have made that decision, it should drive us as disciples to walk in line with our Lord, to live under that authority in our life because it's pure, it is God-breathed, it is for his glory, and it is for our good. Friend, I persuade you, I ask you, turn away from the sin that binds you and turn to the freedom of a glorious Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today. And we thank you for your word. But we understand the reality that, that life is fragile. And as we think about how you and your authority, you are the author of eternity. I pray if there's one here today, if there's one out there watching, if there's one listening by radio, that today would be the day of salvation for them. If there is the decision to be made, maybe there's one here this morning 
And after everyone's dismissed, they just want to come back in. I'm going to be here. Dan's going to be here. Jack will be here. Our staff is going to hang around. They just need to walk out and then come back in to talk or to have prayer. We want to be here to serve. There's one listening. I pray that they would contact us so that we could journey with them in whatever decision they need to make. Lord, I pray that as we, as we move from this place into a new week, God, I pray that we would fall in, in line and in step with how Jesus saw your word as authoritative. That we would embrace the purity of your word. That we would lean into the truth of your word. That we would know it is breathed by you and that as we live it out, it's for your glory. It's for our good. May we not put it to the side any longer or pick it up when we have great needs. But may we fall in love with you through it, to know you more, to live for you lavishly, and to have the hope of all of eternity. Lord, we pray that you would use this time in hearts and lives. We lay it at your feet. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.